The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, June 2nd. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Dr. Charles Chappell. Dr. Chappell earned his doctorate degree in chiropractic from the National College of Chiropractic and holds postgraduate certifications in areas such as chiropractic pediatrics acupuncture, applied kinesthesiology, and spinal rehabilitation. He was selected for America's Top Chiropractors for the last three years. Dr. Chappell, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Dr. Chappell, you talk about the relationship of autism and sensory processing disorders, which comprise a significant part of the challenges. But I would ask if we are still fighting to get mainstream medicine to recognize autism as anything other than purely psychological or genetics only, how are we to get them to recognize biological and biomechanical issues affecting autism's comorbidities? You know, um, I can speak on two directions there, Terry, if you don't mind. As a parent, our son, uh, Sean, is eight years old, and um, we've gone through that process um, coming up through as a parent um, where we express concerns to our pediatrician. I'm sure all your listeners have been there, and we were uh, co- uh, commonly told not to worry, that we were, you know, overpressive, you know, over, uh, over-pushing. He's just self-stimming. Uh, He'll be fine. That you know, their their brother or sister, their sibling talked complete sentences by the age of four, and it was through our persistence that we went through that um, that uh, quest for the pathology, you know, which is common, the uh, the look for cause, and uh, regardless of what test we did, um, everything came back unremarkable. So, um, as a practitioner um, skilled in looking at structure and function, obviously. Um, I started looking more towards the nervous system and realizing that if you're really looking for true therapeutic help uh, and realizing that genetics is a part of everything and is helpful for potentially diagnosis in the future, but um, if you're really looking for hope is to uh, is to find um, 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 therapies which are usually based through the presentation of the, that person. Um, and, and working with uh, kiddos on the spectrum, autistic spectrum, obviously a lot of what they exhibit are the sensory behaviors, which unfortunately um, in the DMSR, uh, which is the code book for diagnosing autism, it's a, a smallest portion of what is recognized as a criteria, yet as I see these kiddos, it's one of the hugest things, that um, the biggest things that uh, the parents are aware of is their sensory um, uh, stimming. And uh, skilled in, in the um, neurology and the structure and function, obviously I'm looking for the therapeutic approach, looking forward, um, certainly recognizing genetics, but I think even uh, um, 
David Kirby mentions in his book, um, Evidence of Harm, there's no such thing as a genetic epidemic. And certainly the numbers that we're seeing um, with these uh, individuals, these kiddos with, with uh, sensory processing disorders is that these are certainly epidemic numbers. So, I, you know, there's only so much that you can place in the, the genetic folder, if you will, that's going to help or be therapeutic for these kids. Right. And uh, let's, let's backtrack a bit. And you talk about reflexes. That's a very little talked about topic in autism. Uh, are reflexes when the doctor hits our knee with a hammer in the office, is that what you mean? Oh, that's one of the most basic reflexes and one that we're most common with. That's um, a reflex of essentially um, muscle tendon to nervous system to back out to muscle tendon and a quick assessment of the, you know, that, that the integrity of that. But when I'm talking about reflexes, I'm talking more in terms of the primitive and postural reflexes. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, the primitive reflexes, um, which incidentally um, are tied directly, they can't be separated to our sensory from our, from our sensory system. Uh, reflexes and senses are, are, are incorporated together. Um, the primitive reflexes are, are what we um, acquire intrauterine when we're first uh, conceived, and these are survival or instinctive automatic reflexes, um, uh, primitive reflexes that are meant to uh, keep us safe. And uh, once born, um, many of these are meant to integrate or mature. And it's often when they don't that we see um, almost a freezing or um, an, inhibi uh, an inhibition in regular development. And you can tie that in to obviously structure and function mechanical, but then we also know structure and function mechanical follows academic development as well. Why wouldn't the primitive reflexes mature? Do you know... Gosh, that's a, that's a crystal ball. I mean, there can be, again, putting on my parent hat for a moment, if I may, we were told, again, that, golly, you know, uh, and again, that wasn't necessarily the doctor saying, well, your, your son has a primitive reflex, um, a retained primitive reflex. It was more along the line, here's the diagnosis. It must be something genetic, or you've had some, you've done some sort of pre-trauma to this child, which you can imagine the guilt complex that you you go through there. Once you push past that uh, diagnosis and you look ahead, and again going back into the physician, any kind of assault that would uh, disrupt normal neuro neurologic development, and I'm not necessarily sold on obviously the pre-all genetic approach. Um, it could be chemotoxic, it could be it could be traumatic, or it might be just be pre premature development. I think often in, um, in my my readings, a lot of the uh, kiddos are, are, are prematurely born, induced labor type um, uh, concerns that it's quite possible the development just didn't have a chance to, to fully reach um, maturation and the reflexes before they were um, induction of labor was um, brought on. Hmm. Um, do you think that children not being, like C-sections, children not being allowed if you will, to go through a normal vaginal delivery has any bearing on their development? Absolutely, absolutely, Terry. And in fact, um, a lot of what's brought out in cranial sacrotherapy is the, the necessity of that pump, if you will. In fact, I just attended a, a seminar this weekend. It was a great one uh, by Dr. Chris uh, Toltz. And she talked a lot about the importance of that inoculation of gram-negative bacteria. So it's the first introduction to the nervous system. Uh, also, you're 
your 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 body, if you will, and being inoculated with healthy bacteria to initiate your body's first healthy immune system response. Mm-hmm. Then also the pumping of the cerebral spinal fluid um, is initiated by an, a normal vaginal delivery. Mm-hmm. Great point. I want to backtrack a little bit more. What do you think autism is? Well, you know, I know as, again, parents out there, you get tired of hearing that um, multifactorial um, um, tag. Uh, but at the heart of it, I do believe it's a distraction of uh, preoccupation of the nervous system. I know, and uh, brethren in the field, if I could be humbly placed in their um, in their group with them, and the, many that I heard talk at Autism One did a great job, a lot of them um, bringing out bringing to light the importance of the gut, the gut being the second brain, and in acupuncture circles is uh, heart or, or the source of a lot of health. Um, I certainly believe multi-systems are involved, but at least through my training, the structure and function of the nervous system has been disrupted, right. and, and I believe it's a disruption in that normal communication of the nervous system through reflexes, through sensation, through mechanics and movement. Um, and obviously, um, recognition of other areas such as um, digestive health and other systems that are involved in the body. Okay, good. So let's move forward again, what, what we do about these things. Um, what's the relationship of the reflexes to sensory processing disorders? And I, I think you'll need to give some background on the body systems or senses. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just kind of keeping it straight, straight ahead, um, as we mentioned, that the two can't be separated. The senses, we gather information through the sensory system, through obviously what you and I know are the senses and also the reflexes, which I think we'll talk a little bit more detail later. But the body senses can be divided into two portions. Um, what we are more commonly familiar with, the far senses, is what we allow, what allows us to respond to outside stimuluses to our body. This is what we hear, see, taste, touch, and smell. There are also the near senses, which also we, we kind of lose track of. Those often are called the hidden senses, and those are our automatic responses within our body to outside stimulus. So this is uh, body position and awareness, um, balance, and movement as well. And we gather the information through the sensory system and the reflex system. We incorporate it. Um, initially, we thought as it traveled through into the cognitive function and, and, and make a decision based on what we gather through our sensory system. It's interesting. I was just reading a paper uh, this morning. Uh, it was published back in uh, October of '07 from Duke University, and they were doing some studies. And they basically came through, and if you don't mind me just kind of quoting some of this, if it's okay, Terry. Uh-huh. But they basically say the prevailing wisdom among brain scientists has been that each of the five senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch, was governed by its own corresponding region of the brain. The view has been that each of these areas process the information separately and send it to the cortex, the higher brainstem. So we have, excuse me, the higher brain level. So we have the brainstem, which houses the primitive reflex. That's the, the primitive brain. Then we have the middle brainstem, or the midbrain, which allows mechanics, and then the cortex, which allows cognition. Going back to the article, now they say, now we are beginning to appreciate that it's not that simple. Our research shows, or our results, pardon me, show that there are interactions between the sensory pathways that occur very early in the process, which implies that the integration of different senses may be more primitive process and not one requiring high brain functioning. So it's one of senses and reflexes, one of the first things we have to acquire. 
And we used to think of it as, oh, no, it's something that comes later. So if you think the brain of, of almost in three parts, the anatomy of the brain, the brainstem, again, I mentioned earlier, the, um, the primitive brain is where our brainstem houses reflexes. And then you have the midbrain allows movement and the cortex allows cognition. Yeah, it's amazing to me that in uh, mainstream circles, they seem to think that the brain is disconnected from the rest of the body. Uh, this would also uh, integrate the brain as well. Yeah, I think that's huge, and, it, and realizing to get at the base, the brainstem is important. All right, we'll talk more about this when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with Dr. Chuck Chappell. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Charles Chappell. And before the break, Dr. Chappell, you were talking about the primitive brainstem, and that reminded me of a lecture at Autism One from Dr. Woody McGinnis that was called Neurotoxic Brainstem Impairment as Proposed Threshold Event in Autistic Regression. I'll just read a little bit of the 
abstract, a couple sentences, a number of small areas which cluster around the primitive brainstem fail to develop blood-brain barriers. They may act as portals for entry of a broad class of toxins, including mercury, cadmium, herbicide, and MSG. Um, conceivably, many abnormal findings in autism, most particularly regression, stem from one or more toxins entering these areas of the brain. In 1964, Rimland was the first to suggest primary brainstem involvement in autism. What do you think about this? I think that's right on track. I mean, I, um, a lot, a lot of what we talked about earlier, and just thinking of where anatomically the locations of your uh, reflexes are, are pretty much housed in that brainstem. But also realizing that all all your sensory data um, travels through the brainstem. And it reaches an area of the brainstem called the reticular activating system. It's located at the top of the brainstem. And that essentially wakes the, uh, the brain up to all coming signals, all incoming signals, and filters out non-essential and essential. And essential, not to overuse the word essentially, but um, what I find in working with uh, um, special kids with special needs is that they, um, they have often an automatic response, they're stuck in an involuntary response mode, they can't sort out the difference between essential and non-essential. In, in essence, then, they're unable to go into a voluntary response versus an involuntary reflex response. And if you don't mind me taking it just a step further, yeah. anatomically, your cerebellum is right there, which, guess what? That's a major modal of controlling the, the, the near senses that we talked about, your body movement. Uh, uh, position sense. So that's right in that anatomic area where um, the research that you read or the presenter at Autism One is um, implying that or, or had evidence of um, a connection. So structure being influenced by a neurotoxin and therefore we see it as physicians as function being uh, irregular and, and people call it behavior. Very good point. Very, very good point. Function being influenced ends up being called behavior. Right. Yeah, and then it's just all thrown into the realm of psychological and such. Which is really, you know, it's interesting because if, if you start to peel out the layers of the anatomy and the neurology, which is it's really exciting, it's fun, but from there, uh, typically we'd see the brainstem allow development to the midbrain and, the, and, the, and then the cortical or the cortex, the cortical brain, if you will, and and I use the analogy when I talk of a chocolate chip cookie. The, if I may, the, um, the uh, primitive brain would smell, taste, want to taste, touch. Um, you know, uh, every, every sense, sensory thought that you can have related to that cookie. Uh, eventually, we want to evolve so that the midbrain allows the mechanics to get to that cookie. Hmm, it's over on the table. I've got to move. How? And that's where you start seeing some of the other. We talk a little bit about the postural reflexes and integration. How do I get there? And then the cortical brain evolves logic hmm, and, 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 and language. Hmm, how can I convince mom or dad that I don't have to eat my broccoli so I can have the chocolate chip cookie? So that's, that's typically the development through the neurodevelopment. What we see with special kiddos often is they're stuck at that, that first sensory reflex, um, involuntary response, can't quite get the motor fully integrated, no less it's so preoccupied, how can I ever get to the cortical? And uh, I think actually Dr. I was going to say Dr., but Sally Gardar talks about if you have a predominance or what she calls a cluster of primitive reflexes, that it makes it almost 
Well, well, she goes on. It makes it very difficult, or she, in fact, implies that it's you can't get any other uh, benefit, um, uh, whether it be behavioral training or educational training, until you deal with um, um, ridding the cluster of primitive reflexes. I guess at this point we had better explain what the primitive reflexes are one by one. Okay. Well, um, yeah, there's a list of them. Um, why don't I start by just giving a little bit of an explanation, but and I'll give just a quick overview. But to go into each one of them, you could say, well, what would what's their typical um, responsibility, and then what happens, and what do you typically see if they're frozen or not integrated or retained is the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, just kind of introducing them um, as a closer look. It's anything that you would think that a child needs when they're first born is a survival. You know, uh, instinctively a parent might um, key in on these. Um, typical ones are the fear paralysis reflex, which it, it gets the child into a fetal position if there's any kind of assault or emergency or fall. Um, a Moreau reflex is actually thought to facilitate. It's the clasping reflex. It, um, it matures into the adult startle reflex. It facilitates the first breath of life. Um, this is a reflex um, that it's believed that if it's underdeveloped can lead to um, SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. It's the only primitive reflex that's connected to all senses. So this is one of the, the biggest ones, um, and it's one of the primary ones, principal ones that need to be looked at in kiddos that have any kind of sensory processing, whether it be ADHD, autism, or even a learning disability, the challenged child, if you will. Um, then you have the Palmer reflex, which is the grasping reflex. It has a lot to do with the um, hand-mouth coordination because you bring food to your mouth. The plantar reflex, which has a lot to do with gait and uh, walking. Um, often kiddos that struggle here have that toe, ref- uh, toe walking. The uh, routing reflex, which we all know is the, the suckling reflex. And then you have one that's called the asymmetric tonic reflex, which is a it's a, a, a kicking reflex. The, the important thing about this is hand-eye coordination. It also has been shown to enhance the myelination of the nervous system. Well, hello, that's what we really need. Uh, it's, the nervous system is most dramatically developed within that first year of life. Um, and it's also a thought, to, if it's underdeveloped, to, to contribute to SIDS as well, a uh, contributing factor to SIDS. And then spinal gallant reflex, which is interesting, uh, thought to allow, enable the fetus to feel sound. Um, which is really interesting as well. Symmetric tonic neck reflex, which is a rolling reflex. Um, it has to do with our, uh, introduction, introduction of our body to gravity as well as the tonic labyrinthine reflex. So those, that's a quick introduction to each of them. Um, and again, their, their premise, their, their principal um, purpose is um, survival, but also an introduction to its surrounding environment. We're, we're kind of bathed in the, the womb, and then we're brought into this world that there's this gravity and light and sound and sensory information, and these are all responses that allow us to deal with what's essential to us. So let me see if I can string some of these together correctly. Our reflexes help mature our sensory systems, which help develop cognition. Am I right so far? Right, and, and there's steps, obviously, in between. Okay, yeah. and if we throw some poison into the brainstem, that's going to mess up the reflexes, which messes up the development of the sensory system, which messes up cognitive development. Exactly, and, it, um, and that's pulling in 
the uh, the uh, gentleman that you talked or that gave a talk as well, and I'd love to get a hold of that um, information, which I will obviously. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's accurate. That's a good um, flow chart. Not only does that potentially cause the retaining of the primitive reflex, but it doesn't allow your body to get into the more developed reflexes, as I think you'd mentioned already, and that influences the far and nearer senses. So you have potentially problems in voluntary movements and ba- movements and balance, as well as visual, auditory, and then sensory perception. Right, because something like the vestibular system, um, um, is it is it auditory that's involved with proprioceptive balance and the vestibular system and such? Yeah, you're tying in. Yeah, exactly. And what you're mentioning there, and very good, Terry, is the uh, vestibular cochlear nerve, um, cranial nerve eight, which is guess what, housed within that brainstem, and and that's where you tie in balance, but also, um, and as I was just reading that article from most. Seven from Duke University, they tie in the importance of visual into that as well. That hearing and, um, and vision are tied in together as well. That in essence, you don't separate the senses; they come in together. They're incorporated together. Okay. So if we if we have primitive reflexes that linger too long, we're going to have learning difficulty in learning basic skills: reading, writing, copying. Well, if you think about it, and if you go and you know you get into Amar reflex. The, the hand reflex. You know, imagine a lot of what um, um, you hear in working with parents is, gosh, they're really focused in at the school with a, a pencil grasp. They really want to get the, um, the child to hold the pen. Well, if they're stuck in that primitive reflex where they really didn't develop the palmar reflex or inhi- inhibit the palmar reflex to move on, then it's that much more difficult for them to hold the pen. But say, like the for example, the tonic neck ref- or labyrinthine reflex, let's just call it TNR, TLR, that's your body's uh, um, development of posture, but an early method of response to gravity. Well, imagine if you don't have a good developed sense of how to even respond to gravity. Your body's so preoccupied with movement, guess I better flap my hands or rock right. to get some input in there. Oops, he's got a behavior or she's got a behavior. They can't be taught because they have such extensive behaviors, um, but they're really just preoccupied or potentially stuck in a reflexive seesaw, if you will. Right. I think one child said that his, his stimming, his flapping his hand was just so he could feel his body, be aware right. of his body. It's, that's, wow, it's amazing. So children won't be able to sit still in the classroom, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's really even tied into the spinal gallant reflex, the ability to, you know, to have postural control to sit still. Right. So think about your challenge child, if you don't mind, Terry, and me you know, just kind of stepping back. And, um, studies showing that as much as 10 to 30% of, the, of our kids within that spectra, or within the sensory processing disorders, excuse me, are considered challenge children. You know, these are the kiddos that don't necessarily have a diagnosis, but gosh, Bobby won't just sit still. You know, he just, he, he's, he's a difficult learner. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to get it, you know. Right, so many misbehaviors are really a child's attempts at trying to handle dysfunction and reflexes. They're telling you something. That's, right. and again, that gets back to the nervous system right. um, in, in its structure and function. If you have appropriate structure, you're ideally going to get appropriate function. If there's a regular or a variant structure activity, then you're going to get 
you know, an outward manifestation of that, or at least an individual's attempt to tell you, I can't get this. It's, I tell uh, patients often, the parents often, excuse me, it's kind of like trying to tune your radio to 101.9 to get your favorite station, but they're at like 101.7, and they can't quite figure out how to get there. And they're trying to tell you neurologically through movement, through mechanical, biomechanical representations, hey, tune this area of my nervous system. Um, help me here. Now, again, I'm humble. And if, you know, obviously there's other systems involved, the gut, again, uh, and, and neurotransmitter function, but also a, a lot of what I'll work on within the chiropractic and craniosacral realm is just trying to work to normalize regular structure so that function is improved. Okay, let's talk about this when we come back from break on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Okay, we're back with Dr. Charles Chappell, and before the break, you were beginning to talk about biomechanical fine-tuning. Uh, yeah, working with uh, um, posture, improving structure to function. Um, and the, the, the working, obviously, as a chiropractor, often you see the typical patient with the low back pain, but essentially it's neurologic involvement. You know, uh, working with kids on the spectrum, seeing where their outward manifestations are mechanically and using those as tracers to kind of hone in um, and look at the reflexes and see if there are areas that you need to focus in on and help uh, integration of those reflexes, um, the primitive to postural. And ideally, and I'm not saying here, hey, one, in, one treatment's going to make this, this child talk, or, but it's a piece in the puzzle. 
that ideally allows the maturation of the neurologic system and moves from that essential um, involuntary primitive response to voluntary control. Even if you think of something, Terry, as simple as, well, not as simple, but as intricate as speech, and this is where I'm really um, a passion of mine because our son, uh, God bless him, is nonverbal. You think about it, voice output is fine motor control. And in one of my papers that I wrote, essentially what you want to do is, is get gross motor function to proceed to fine motor function. And a lot of these kiddos, God bless them, they don't have accurate gross motor function. How are they going to get the fine motor function, i.e. speech? So that's where I'm, you know, I keep digging and digging and digging to find a connection there as well. Tell us a little bit about the, the postural reflexes. We've already covered primitive. Sure. Um, once the primitive um, mature, they, they should integrate to, again, more voluntary control and what are considered postural reflexes, which lead to the cortical development. And probably the best way to break postural reflexes up are into two subsets, the writing reflex, which is your basic um, quad position, which is well, we tend to think of it as um, infants crawling, and that develops cross-crawl patterns and so on. And this second subset would be more equilibrium, and that's more of a biped. That's where we think of up on our feet, if you will. Um, and those are the two subsets of the postural reflexes. How do you actually test for these things? And when I ask about fine-tuning them, how do you actually in practice treat them? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's great. And if, if, if you don't mind right about here, I might even backpedal just a little bit and okay. talk a little bit about, again, I mentioned premature you know, I won't ever assume to be an OB or um, a, a GYN, but what I see in these uh, kiddos is, um, is um, a physician or is a doctor, a chiropractor trained in uh, structure and function is that if their primitive reflexes are still there, then it's, it's valid to say that they're premature, um, it, that their development, neurologic development is premature. Now, as you, your question um, came out is to ask, well, how do you, how do you evaluate? And most of it is mechanical testing. Obviously, you want to take a good, thorough history. Boy, the parents. The parents of um, these special kiddos are probably one of the most knowledgeable group of lay people I've ever met, um, well-read. Um, they know the child. They are doctor mom, doctor dad, and, and taking a history not only from um, um, you know past history of uh, physicians and diagnosis and tests, but from the parents. And then observation, doing an exam. Obviously, I'll be looking um, basic reflexes and mechanical concerns as well. But then looking at just how the child, um, um, their, their, their general function, mechanical. How do they ambulate? Um, what areas do they, um, do they key in on? Are they sensitive or are they hyper or hyposensitive in certain areas? They, a child can be hypersensitive in olfactory um, smells but hyper hyposensitive in sound. They don't seem to be affected by loud noises. Um, so then from there, then you get into a little bit more clinical examinations where there's a series of uh, tests that you do for the primitive reflexes. You can grade them on a scale of zero to four, and uh, um, zero being no presence of the primitive reflex and a um, full development of the postural reflex, or four, where there's full retained primitive reflexes and no or an absence of postural reflexes. So for each of those primitive reflexes I mentioned, there's a, there's a mechanical test, if you will, that you do and, and you observe the, the child's response. Um, 
probably the easiest one to think of right off the top of my head here to explain is the Moreau reflex, as we mentioned, which involves taking an infant or child and extending their head, um, supporting it through the whole time, um, kind of abruptly backwards, not, not forcing it, but just kind of giving them that sense that, oh, I'm going to fall. And depending on their response, um, you can grade them on that scale. Uh, you want to see more of a startle response, which is an adult response. You typically would shrug your shoulders and turn your head towards the side of stimulus. A retained reflex, you'll see more of a um, an involuntary hands go up and come across the chest. You'll see alterations in breathing, um, a, a visible dislike for that movement. A mom... Um, a, a mom came in just recently and she said, you know, I've not been able to put my child back in the bath. You know how some kids love to lay flat in the back and uh-huh. the bathtub? She goes, the minute his head drops behind the midline of his body, his hands flail and he's obviously in a, in a, dislike, um, in a state of dislike or displeasure. And that's, an, that's, a, that's a parent telling me, I didn't even have to do the test. My child has a Moreau reflex. Um, and it should be integrated at past... Typically, primitive reflexes are integrated at the latest, um, just past um, halfway through the first year. So by age one and a half, by 18 months, they should be, ideally by a year, 12 months to eight, most of them should be integrated well be, before that. So this, this uh, special kiddo is five, and he's still having that response. He should voluntarily um, recognize um, the position and adapt to it and voluntarily change his position depending on where, where he is. But instead, he has an involuntary response. And each of the reflexes has that, and you look for that, um, and you test for that. As far as treatment, um, it depends on which one you find. And um, that's where the chiropractic and craniosacral, um, that's where my skills are, and that's essentially where I bring those in um, to ideally integrate that, that reflex into the nervous system. That's just sum up this section and then move on. Uh, reflexes are like mirrors or windows that evidence level of brain development. Would, would that be an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think that's very good. Okay. So let's move on to another topic in chiropractic, craniosacral therapy. What's this and how does it differ from cranial osteopathy? Yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, excuse me, the premises are still within the mechanical system. I think... Um, a great book that I, I, I would recommend to everyone, and probably most parents have this already, but The Movement-Based Learning by Cecilia Coester. And she, she goes through a lot of this. And she even uh, quotes an individual, um, a Dr. Hannah Ford, um, that essentially movements assist us in putting things into memory. Movement grows the brain. So that's part of that premise of gross motor function. Well, f- um, brings us into fine motor function. In chiropractic and craniosacral therapy, assist gross motor function and, and ideally helped to integrate the reflexes and the senses, but also, as we've seen by this uh, Dr. Hannaford, movement grows the brain, and if we're assisting the movement of this individual more directed, not necessarily in their involuntary re- response, but in a voluntary, assisting a voluntary movement, um, then you're working to, to facilitate that normal development. Um, chiropractic works... Let me use an analogy, if you don't mind, uh, briefly, Terry. My, my wife, uh, I often talk to her in analogies, and she, she often says, please, no more. But uh, if you were making a bed and uh, you needed to straighten the mattress pad in the mattress, that would be kind of like chiropractic care. The, the 
big movements of the big parts of the body, the spine and possibly the extremities, the arms and legs. And you do it through very gentle pressure. Um, adjustment of a, a child, a kiddo, is not like what you see um, dramatized as an adjustment of an, an adult. Um, individuals in chiropractic and cranial psychotherapy that are trained to work with kids know the difference and obviously um, adapt to kiddos, especially with kiddos with special needs. So that what we may think of is that hard osteous push where you hear a click or a pop, you don't always look for or um, it's not a goal in chiropractic with working with children. Um, but straightening the mattress pad. Cranial sacral therapy is very much like straightening the sheet under the comforter. Um, how many of us as, as kids would take a, your parents would say, well, make your bed, and you just take the comforter and throw it over the bed and say, there, it's made. Right. <laughs> and, and literally, you didn't really make the bed. So I feel in working with trying to improve structure and function along the nervous system and assisting um, movement, movement assisting growth of the brain, you need to straighten the mattress and you need to straighten the, the, um, the sheet. Now, craniosacral therapy is even gentler yet, and it, it works with releasing uh, fascia in the membranes, the, the dura that attaches, the lining of the nervous system that attaches the uh, um, landmarks on the nervous system, the brainstem, for example, uh, the sacrum, and that's um, release techniques that you use, very gentle techniques that you use to, um, to facilitate normal movement in that area. Okay. Um, I understand that when you're doing uh, craniosacral therapy, it's only about applying about a nickel of pressure, so it's not something that's scary. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, one of the ways that I try to relate this to parents as well is if I don't have a balloon in the office, I can usually say, hey, if you blew up a balloon and you put your hands on the balloon, Cranial sacral therapy and, to some degree, chiropractic in working with children. It's just enough pressure that you don't indent a balloon. And then parents usually go, oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, that helps. You know, and again, working with a 45-year-old man or female lady that has injured their back, I'm obviously going to do a little bit more pressure um, and try and influence positive um, effects on the nervous system. But just to give you the insight, um, you know, if you blew that balloon up and, and – Put your hands on it without indenting the balloon. That's a, that's kind of how it works. The pressure. Now, um, my son benefited from craniosacral therapy, and he had been kind of grinding his head into the back of the couch, and then he stopped after having it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What does that say? Yeah, and, and I think that's you know again, uh, Doctor Mom, a great job in in picking up that you know he was uh, giving an outward manifestation of trying to. Tune the radio to 101.9 himself. And, and I, I feel, again, a mirror of the child's development in the nervous system is often the activities they do, such as banging their head, or flapping their hands, or toe walking, or rocking top to bottom, which is, you know, frozen and a part of mechanical development. And those are clues to uh, accessing that portion of the nervous system. Now, cranial psychotherapy is interesting as well, as you probably um, have had this experience. Is you and I know that any any uh, system in our body that has uh, a vital number attached to it is very important, such as pulse or respiration. Um, we know the normals in that area of blood pressure. Well, cranial psychotherapy, you can actually look for a, a normal rhythm. It's typically between 6 and 12 beats per minute. Right. And it's a pulse, a cranial sacral pulse. 
So again, your body has that rhythm that's meant to happen there. And often what we see in hyper individuals is that rhythm might be high or hypo individuals that rhythm might be too low. And interesting, it doesn't necessarily have to just be kiddos on the spectrum, but adults as well um, that are on the spectrum also. Okay. We'll talk more about how CST can help when we come back with Dr. Charles Chappell to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to Enzymedica for sponsoring the Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Well, we're back with Dr. Charles Chappell, and I was going to ask you another thing that um, my son's cranial sacral therapist helped with, and she was a chiropractor trained at the Upledger Institute, yeah. um, was uh, GI function, uh, constipation and such. Yes, oh, um, on many levels. That brings up the uh, conversation earlier about the realizing other systems can certainly be involved, and there's uh, a lot that has been discussed in influence of the um, digestive system. Again, going back to um, David Kirby's book and talking about um, concerns of um, the, the gut being influenced um, often, but then also um, great studies and um, 
that people are doing showing benefits through nutritional support through the digestive system. Relevance mechanically, um, bringing the biomechanic, um, biomechanical approach to tie in with the biomedical or behavioral as well would be often you can have what's called a um, somatovisceral reflex or a visosomatoral internal out. So often um, kiddos will struggle with, um, special kiddos will struggle with constipation or they may have the other extreme. Um, and then working with the segments within the nervous system that influence that. Now, as a chiropractor, I can't say that I'm treating them internally. I'm treating the nervous system, which influences that area of the body. Um, and I have fortunately seen great benefit uh, with helping, especially um, kiddos that might be trying to detox or might be on a fair amount of supplementation that often get constipated, um, and it helps um, working with them craniosychotherapy and chiropractically as well. I guess a summary of part of what you've said is that the hip bone really is connected to the leg bone and the whole body works together as a whole. Mm-hmm. I actually had a patient that once said it's like dominoes. You know, if you, if you tip one down, the other ones fall. Conversely, if you stand them up, they all, you know, the goal is to get them all to stand up. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah autism is a whole body condition and I'm just amazed and frustrated at uh, you know, mainstream folks who think that uh, our kids are a bunch of disembodied heads. Do you know, and in, in needing to work with those individuals as well um, and recognizing again, and um, God rest my dad's soul, he used to say, you know, why look for a zebra when the horse is right in front of you? Um, and not to generalize, but often um, we get caught up in, in looking for zebras in healthcare instead of, and I'll include myself, I'm not pointing to any one fraction of the healthcare delivery system. Sometimes you get caught in, in looking for zebras when sometimes the horse is right there. Um, conversely, as a parent, and I think we talked earlier about this, Terry, that um, obviously I believe there's a reason that the window and, and the front window in your car is bigger than the window in the back. You should be looking ahead, and that's literally uh, where I'm trying to help um, parents, but the, the, especially these kiddos. It's a passion. And um, I might not have all the answers, but certainly something that uh, I believe the nervous system can't be underestimated. And there's a source of frustration for myself and that often I feel that it is underlooked or underutilized. And I, I think the time has come. I think it's just part of uh, the appreciation of w- what these children teach us. It's not so much what we impose on them, but what they're showing us and what we need to respond to to help them, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, therapies or even education as well. Now, I, you, I, I'm sorry. It's not their lack. It's ours often. So, I'm sorry. Our, our connection there for a minute. Um, how does the parent find an experienced, qualified, safe practitioner to address reflexes or craniosacral therapy? Yeah, uh, there are great websites. Certainly the inter- Internet can be a great source. Um, going to You mentioned Upledger, where I received my training as well. Um, and certainly, uh, you had mentioned, I think your practitioner was both a chiropractor and also worked with craniosychotherapy. Right. You can go to um, icpa4kids.org, the number 4kids.org, and you can look up for um, practitioners that welcome children, that um, chiropractors that, that want to work with kiddos. And then certainly you can go to their websites our website um, actually has a little set, uh, a section on sensory processing. So you can interview them indirectly or you can call and interview them directly. 
um, and, and, and also certainly um, referrals. Um, um, AutismSpeaks.org, um, all the autism sites or the individual state sites might have uh, leads as well. You mentioned uh, ICPA4.org. That's, I believe, Jeannie, uh, Dr. Jeannie Ahm's uh, right. organization, I... International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, in case anybody is Googling it. And then your website address is? It's all lowercase. It is case sensitive, but it's uh, Dr. Chapel, D-R-C-H-A-P-P-L-E.com. Right, and people could Google the, the Upledger Institute as well. So I think you went and got a book during the break. Did you? Am I correct about that? Was there something you wanted to share? Or? Well, you know, again, just the cranial sacral therapy and, and just um, the, the, the correlations. They've actually shown where levels of the brain are directly affected, um, the brain structures within kiddos. Uh, implicated with autism or um, diagnosed with autism. And they, obviously the brainstem and the cerebellum we had talked earlier, we didn't talk a lot or I didn't talk a lot. I didn't mention areas such as the corpus callosum, which is that connection between the right and the left hemispheres of the brain. Um, so often, um, and, and this is maybe where you get into working with uh, kiddos that might be considered savants, that one side is just hugely developed over the other side. Right side of the brain may be being more involved in the artistic endeavors. The left side being more involved in the logic um, language endeavors. So they might have deficits on one side versus um, enhancements, if you will, on others. I, um, last year, not this year, but last year when I was at Autism One, I sat in on a panel. I wish I kept the young lady's name, but it was a physician that said, I'm, I'm confident that these individuals that are diagnosed on the spectrum are brilliant. She goes, that's my pre prerequisite with working with them. And, you know, that as a parent brought tears to my eyes. And then it also opened my eyes as a physician to realize the neurologic structures are there. You know, it's just a matter of trying to make that connection and trying to help them, whether it be uh, biomedical or, or biomechanical. I think something you alluded to, Dr. Chappell, was the uneven skill sets that we so often see in our kids. And that kind of misleads us um, to thinking that the child couldn't possibly have autism. What do you think? Yeah, it's and that, that's where the spectrum comes in, and we're certainly seeing that through education. Right. Would you have any closing remarks that you'd like to, to make? Uh, you know, obviously, I think it was Michelangelo that said um, the problem isn't shooting too high, not achieving it, but aiming too low and achieving it, something along that effect. I think with these kids, you can never aim too high for them. Oh, that's a great point. You know, children are recovering. Children are significantly improving. There was uh, a boy at the conference whose mom was told to institutionalize him at two and a half years old, and now at 11 he is recovered, and in fact he helped with the passage of the Arizona insurance legislation. That's awesome, and that's, that's that story of hope that you bring to people, and I appreciate being a part of it. Well, thank you for being a part of it, and thank you for sharing information about this approach. For My any pleasure. For any questions about this program, please email me at tiaranga at autismone.org. And thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medical.
Jacob would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.